Hey everyone, so we're back for October's Jettison podcast and we're here with Carolyn Hunter and Austin Rivers and we're going to talk about being alternative and black today because hey, being a black emo kid is way different than <laughs> being a white emo kid <laughs> because in one situation you uh, you lose your white friends but there's still a whole plethora of white people available at your disposal but when you lose your black friends because you like my chemical romance in fifth grade you ain't going back (laughs) (laughs) there's no you're past the point of no return (laughs) it's it's over (laughs) okay so when did y'all get emo (laughs) or (laughs) Um, i wouldn't i'm definitely wouldn't describe myself as emo honestly in personality i probably am but i'm not um growing up i just uh I don't know, like, I was always was into, like, different shit, you know? Like, I used to love watching, like, the X Games and, like, skateboarding and all that extreme stuff. Like, I was really into skateboarding in, through middle school and elementary school. And, um, I mean, I was really into rock music and stuff. And, like, I mean, my dad's always kind of liked, you know, against mainstream stuff. Like, he's into, like, NASCAR and, like, Formula One racing, like, not your typical black hobbies. So, um, you know, like... Really, like, I say, like, middle school and high school, like, I just always realized I was just, like, into different things. And, like, I really wasn't even that much into, like, hip-hop and stuff. I really didn't get into that to about, like, high school and such. But I really, like, I wouldn't necessarily say, like, I was, like, emo or such, but, like, I definitely felt like I didn't fit within the mode of, like, you know, the stereotypical, like, mainstream black person. Like, I felt like there were, like, you know, a lot of things, not necessarily, like, I couldn't relate to, but when it came to, like, pop cult, like, uh, Pop, fast as a pop culture in the black community, I felt like I wasn't like as much in the loop as some of my uh, classmates and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for me, I think it started around puberty probably. Like I was probably like eight or nine and I was just, just now recognizing like social like circles and stuff. And I just realized I didn't fit in. I never really actually like fit in. I knew I was like a weird kid from the jump. So I was just like drawing on the walls for a longer time than most kids <laughs> usually do. <laughs> And I was just, I didn't, you know, care about, you know, clothing brands or things of that nature, like the new tech out or like had a computer very early, like everything was just late for me. And then I'd never really cared much for pop culture than I did for like things back in the day. Like I grew up on 70s music and um, just being family surrounded not really anything like into into death with culture I don't know um Mm -hmm. but um for me I just knew that my family was as different than other people's families and we didn't do much of like religious practices or like political anything we were just us Mm -hmm. and then yeah yeah no I remember that there was kind of like this divide between the things that I liked that <clears throat> that I could relate to with black kids and the things that I liked that like there was there was no common ground like I remember when I was in probably first or second grade going over to uh, some of my black friends house with my sister and we would like do karaoke karaoke of Alicia Keys and it was really fun <laughs> and <clears throat> and I remember my sister was really obsessed with that album and a lot of my dad's music that's where like my my like that's a lot of my culture and my upbringing and the mm-hmm. music that I listen to but also once I got to middle school 
And I started listening to the music that my sister was listening to because, or I guess I wasn't in middle school. I was probably more in like second or third grade and she was like eighth grade-ish. And uh, that was when like Panic at the Disco, Fall Out Boy, all of them were having their heyday in like 2006. Mm -hmm. And I remember really liking those bands and quickly realizing that that meant that I, every time I tried to initiate a conversation with people who didn't like that stuff, it would ostracize me. And I remember like black kids asking me if I knew rap lyrics and it was like, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of uh, your point about Fall Out Boy, when the, um, when the lead singer died, uh, committed suicide a few months ago. Oh, that um, wasn't Fall Out Boy. That no, was Lincoln uh, Park. That was Lincoln Park. Park, my bad. Yeah. But yeah. Um, <laughs> In that vein. <laughs> but in the, in that vein, Linkin Park, like, a lot of people on, like, line were, like, a lot of black people were pretty sad about, like, his death. And uh, even, like, on a lot of social media, like, people, a lot of black kids, people were talking about, like, yeah, like, like Linkin Park was, like, the music that the alternative black kids listened to. And I, <laughs> I listened to it, too. And, like, I really, like, you know, because, like, rock, like, rock and roll and stuff wasn't things that, like, that wasn't, like, cool. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that that was considered white, you know, and that that was something I heard a lot growing up, too. It's like, oh, you like listening to those white people music. Are you like skateboarding and white people stuff? And then, like, I would say, like, when I got around high school and especially through college, I started looking at just social media and I realized, like, that the things that I liked that were called white growing up had become a lot more popular within the black mm-hmm. community, like skateboarding and things like that. So, like, mm-hmm. I was really happy to see that, like, those kids don't like have to face that same feeling of isolation that I did I felt because of my interests. I agree um yeah for me it was uh me listening to the rap and rock were like hand in hand so I listened to as much rock as I did rap and it was just um it was different because people kind of like stuck to top 40 back in the day and they were just like oh you listen to that you must be a punk rock chick or you are weird like why why are you listening to that music and then it was also just not caring about, like, boys and stuff, like, caring about regular teenager stuff. I was just always into, like, I don't know, RuneScape or, like, <laughs> <laughs> just playing video games. And I was, a, I was a Nintendo buff for, like, a good six years nice. of my adolescence. So I just kind of stuck with the internet crowd. Yeah. Did y'all get called an Oreo? Because I did. <laughs> All the time. Oh, a few times. I did, yeah, a few times. I <laughs> well, part of it is for me, I am, like, partially white. Like, my grandmother is white. Mm-hmm. But, like, also, it's just, like, she's an Oreo or her mutt. I've gotten mutt before. Oof. <laughs> I've never gotten mutt. I got Oreo and, like, obviously one of my parents is white. <laughs> but You don't say. <laughs> you don't say. No, but, like, I mean, I think that I had a less difficult time having people acknowledge that I was black in middle school because there were, like, more black kids that I associated with there. Once Uh I got to private high school, like, it was highly segregated. Mm -hmm. And I think that all schools kind of are to a certain degree when you have a majority, like, white population, which I'm pretty sure my middle school did. But, yeah, in middle school, like, I remember getting called Norio. I remember (laughs) the first time... That I told somebody that I knew all the lyrics to uh, to Panic at the Disco is a feeder you can't sweat out, and they just looked at me <laughs> like, hmm? yeah, I, um, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, I uh, I really didn't have a lot of uh, black friends growing up. Like I would say, I mean, I, I I got some through high school. I mean, I had a good bit, but like in like middle school and such, uh, I really didn't have a lot of black friends because I felt like. Um, 
I mean, I felt I really wasn't. I felt like I really wasn't that accepted by like you know like the quote unquote cool black kids. You know, like I was black, but I wasn't their type of black. And I that's actually a really big issue in the black community. Yeah. I think socially that there's this like there's like this litmus test for blackness that they like give you upon meeting you, and it's just like if you don't meet this certain threshold of blackness that they see, then you're not black to them, or you're not like the type of black mm. that they want to. Never own a with. pair of Jordans or like. Uh, Never had a, a Gucci Mane CD or anything of that nature. Like, <laughs> yeah, and it's not that you don't appreciate yeah. it. I think that yeah. sometimes when you're younger, I don't know. I know that when I was younger, I think that like I definitely played into like internalized racism. Yeah, a little bit. But then, that as too. I, then as I got older, I realized like I don't have an interest in a lot of this music. And then yeah. when I gained interest, it was like okay, cool. <laughs> but. I remember when I was younger, it was hard because I noticed when I socialized with like other white kids that I didn't have the same life as them. Yeah. Like fundamentally, it was different. And like it, it kind of I don't want to say that was damaging, but it definitely affected the way that I viewed myself. And I think that being around people who will say racist stuff around you. Yeah you know, that affects the way you view yourself. And if those are the only people who will accept you for who you are, mm-hmm. even if they're not accepting you for who you are, you know, what does that make of, of your friendship circle? It's it's very ostracizing. You, it makes you feel like you don't belong in either places. And I know that my dad, like, tried to raise me so that I didn't have an identity crisis or whatever. Mm. But, you know, you can't, there's so only so much <laughs> you can do. <laughs> I understand that. Yeah, um... Yeah, for me, it's just, I had, like, the black kids and the white kids. I had all sorts of friends. Like, it never was a problem of race. It was just a problem of, like, social, like, social status. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe because I was um, more low income or, like, I was an art kid and not, like, I didn't play any sports. Um, That came into play, too, a lot of my character. But um, it definitely played with race when I, like was in high school because it was just like me transitioning from like not caring about social like life but like now to like having like that sort of obligation to be social Mm -hmm. you can definitely tell the difference Mm -hmm. how do you guys um do you mind if I ask a question yeah no problem how do you guys think the uh the landscape of being black and alternative has changed within recent years because I Personally, I think social media has really uh, given us a new visibility where, like, we realize we aren't alone. You know, like I said, like, I've seen a lot, a greater visibility of, uh, you know, black kids who are into skateboarding and shit like that. Yeah. And I've seen, um, you know, I, you know, everybody, I, I used to get played so much for, like, an anime yeah. growing up. <laughs> but now it's but now, everywhere. Now it's everywhere. But not even that. But I love how, like, every every black kid realizes, oh, I watch Dragon Ball Z, too. But, like, you know, we used to, like, laugh at each other and call that stuff lame. But yeah. we realized that, like, a lot of the lame stuff that we got made fun of, like, a lot more people liked it than we thought we did. People were just on a down low about it. I think that part of that is, like, being older. Like, in high school, it's just, like, you, there's this monolith of trying to be in the same um, sort of popular zone. But, like, with, like, college and, like, getting older, I think everybody's just like, hey, these people are actually, like, people and everybody's learning about, like, certain demographics that they never actually interacted with before. And I think that's part of that is playing with, like, the soci- it's like socio-political, maybe. like Yeah. 
You know, I also think that part of it, um, I think somebody brought up in the Athens POC DIY page, which I also want to talk about, uh, but they were talking about how they wanted to do a project on, like, people of color and handling mental illness. And I think (laughs) a lot of emo stuff talks about, like, depression, and it's very emotive. Not that, like, rap or any sort of black music isn't emotive. Of course it is, but... There's just certain things that aren't talked about. Or at least they're just starting now to get talked about. Yeah, I think that that in and of itself is kind of ostracized because I don't know I know that I never got called this but I think that like boys who liked emo music would get called gay and stuff (laughs) for liking it and I I got called gay for liking Beyonce's If I Was a Boy (laughs) (laughs) I used to sing my heart out with that song If I Was a Boy (laughs) like they used to they used to laugh at me so hard over it yeah so once you got to high school I guess uh I don't know. I guess overall, how do you see the parallels between, like, growing up black and alternative and growing up white and alternative? Like, through all of this, did you pick up on any distinct differences? Like, how white kids kind of benefited and, like, black kids didn't or anything like that? For me, the white kids definitely, like... The alternative white kids, they all hung out with each other and they didn't have any, like, sort of, like, social, like, self-conscious sort of complex. Like, I feel like I had a self-conscious complex. Theirs was more of, like, going with an aesthetic. Like, it was almost, their alternative was almost, like, monolithic, whereas ours is, like, there's levels because you have the queer black people and then you have the... uh poor black people and like not like alternatives in like not wearing you know Nike or whatever like wearing Goodwill thrift clothes or something of that nature like it's different there was more levels to being black and alternative than it was to be white because it was just for white people it was just going against you know mom's wishes yeah you know it was effortless for them whereas I felt like it was effort for us because we don't have much already so like add this sort of um part of your character now there's more to work with I think um for us growing up I don't think so now just because of I think the genre has really widened but I think for us growing up like hip-hop um in the black community hip-hop has always been uh this very like but kind of like this uh tastemaker yeah. you know it kind of establishes the fashion and what's cool and the and the uh, slang and such and so i feel like a lot of growing up black and alternative is you kind of go against the mode of hip-hop at least yeah. that's what it felt like for me where the things that are cool are things that don't really appeal to you and you know you're sitting in your room listening to the beatles instead of you know the new instead of like the new dmx album you know and so i do definitely think it's a lot easier for white people because um they don't have this I don't think I don't think being white in America because white culture in America is just so ubiquitous I yeah. don't think they have like kind of like this tastemaker of what it means to be white the same way as blacks do yeah. because um they don't like their being white isn't an identity that they have to really hold on to yeah. while being black, black is, is an identity mm-hmm. that yeah. we have whether we want it or not and so um that was that was like kind of the issue I say this is more of an issue I've had in college which is why um I started the DIY POC Facebook group is that like, you know, I'm into these alternative things, but like at the end of the day, 
my blackness is still very much part of my identity. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, when I, was in, there. when I was mm-hmm. in college and I'm hanging, you know, and I, I feel this all the time in Athens is that when I'm here, when I'm hanging in these predominantly white spaces, and even though I enjoy the alternative vibe and aesthetic yeah. of it, I feel this weird isolation being the only black person there. Because yeah. I feel like there's this, this cultural distance between us that mm-hmm. just can't be bridged, you know, and it's not, sure. it's not to their fault, but it's like, um, you know, there's just certain things you want out of social relationships and like feeling culturally close to someone is one of them. Yeah. And I think that when you listen to music, there's different takeaways that you get from yeah. it. And like listening to highly emotive music, if your takeaway, your takeaway is going to have something to do with your life. And like you were saying earlier, you know, like if your big takeaway is like, F you mom, but like <laughs> for, for, uh, for black people, I think that your takeaway has a lot to do with your culture and like the house that you're growing up in yeah. and like what you feel when somebody says something really racist to you like that's the sort of anger that we have it's not just like uh suburban angst a lot of the time it's like something very real and something very deep and i'm not saying that like white emo kids aren't (laughs) capable of being real and deep yeah they are a lot of them write the music that we listen to but it it has something it has a different meaning and i think it's also disappointing i mean I can't think of any good examples, but I'm sure that, like, a lot of, like, white emo artists, especially from when we were growing up, like, said some racist bull hockey, you know? <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, those, those were the, the idols that we had, you know? That's who we connected with. And, you know, it, it's... It's interesting to talk about being emo with a white person yeah. versus talking about it like just us because mm-hmm. the experiences are so much different. And I think that as we get to college, that's evident because consequently like DIY, which I think is basically just like emo kids all growing yeah. up. Uh, it, it really it's, is. It's a, <laughs> whether they like it or not. It whatever really, it's like, is it really at its, at its core. It's not a phase, yeah. mom. But <laughs> most, most of the people, most of the people in the scene are white. And I think that has a lot to do with people of color who go through that same phase yeah. not necessarily feeling Having, welcome. It's a personal thing. It's yeah. more of a personal thing. It can it has a hard time bleeding into like a big social group thing for us because we're used to being so isolated in our interests. I know for me, I'm just so used to be surrounded by black people. So it's just a, entering a white space is just like I have to be cautious because I don't know what they know about what I go through a mm-hmm. lot. And a lot of that is what it drives me to like go to things like this and like do things and what I do for my practicum like it's different than what they would do oh yeah I um I say I uh my experience with space is a little different I you know my family we're all a bunch of darkies so (laughs) I'm used to like you know I would say culturally I was culturally raised to being black you know it's like but um I would say because of like my performance in school, you know, being in an honors and AP program yeah. throughout throughout grade school, you know, the classrooms are predominantly white. You yeah. know, oftentimes I was the only black person in a lot of my honors and AP classes. And so and especially when I come to college, like most college universities are predominantly white spaces. So yeah. like when I came to college, you know, like all my black all my classes this semester, I'm the only black person. Yeah. And it, like it doesn't really face me anymore because I'm so used to it. But I got, and this really kind of came around, I would say, with during my senior year of college, where like um, I got, I just realized that like I have, I'm in white, predominantly white spaces so much just yeah. in my everyday life that like 
socially, if I don't have to be in a predominantly low white space, I'm not going to. Like, I'm going, I'm trying to find those people of color spaces. I'm trying to bring a black friend with me to these predominantly white spaces because it's just like, it doesn't have to be that way. You yeah. know, it's like, I refuse, because I like when I'm home in South Carolina, there's just this like feeling of like, of easiness. When I walk into Kroger and I just see a sea of black faces, yeah. you know? <laughs> and so I realized that like, if I have that comfortability at home, I shouldn't have to compromise that same comfortability in my social life yeah. just so I can find people that I fit in with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that for me, like, I have the privilege of blending in for the most part in a lot of white spaces, but I'm the once I start talking about my blackness, which inevitably, if I'm going to make friends with people, it's going to come up. Yeah. And a lot of people assume that I'm not white. A lot of people of color, if I see them, like non-black people of color, assume that I'm not white. But mm -hmm. then once I start talking about my race, that's when people's true colors come out. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> it's just so disappointing because on face value, like I can walk into, like when I first started going to shows last year, I like walked in and was really excited. And granted, most of the people who are my friends now, like they're great. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> all my friends who I know now aren't gonna say really, really horrible things to me. But I know that I've been white splained to on <laughs> numerous occasions. I feel sometimes like I can't talk about my experiences in those spaces because it's like you're always gonna be disappointed by white people. And it's very ostracizing. And it's not their fault. Yeah. You know, they're not they're not a person of color. All they can really say is like, oh yeah, that sucks. <laughs> like that's yeah. the, that's that's basically the the summary of their input. And there's plenty of good ways to put that. And of course your white people can provide support, but it's still disappointing. And I think that for me personally, I have been in white spaces for so long that I'm now that I'm in college and have the opportunity or at least the social agency to like talk to to branch out I guess mm -hmm. like I'm realizing that like not hanging out with people of color for a lot of like high school and stuff like that it really like affected me yeah. very deeply I um <laughs> part of the reason why I'm so I become really big into like kind of like carving that that person of color space around this town is that you know it's like Different, being part of any minority group, you have kind of this different weight on you than a majority because it's like, oftentimes, you know, it's just like, you're not just like you, you're kind of a representation of your group. Okay? Yeah. And so I, um, I've um, i always found myself, I don't know if I have to do it or not, but when I'm in these, socially, when I'm in these predominantly white spaces, I find myself policing my behavior a bit, you know, because yeah. like, I don't want to come off as ignorant and such, but it's like, when I'm with my black friends, I'm, I'm ignorant, I'm, I'm flagrantly ignorant you know I, I'm wild <laughs> I, say, I, I say stupid stuff and it's like I can be that way because they know at the end of the day okay Austin he's an intelligent person but he's also a goofy person but like when I'm in these predominantly white spaces I feel like you know they just don't see Austin they see a black person and so when I feel like I act a certain way I'm not just like I'm not it's not just a reflection of myself but it's a reflection of my blackness I uh only recently have been comfortable enough to use like my African-American vernacular like in front of white people like mm -hmm. white spaces like in class and stuff it feels weird yeah like, they'll look at you <laughs> it's like, weird but <laughs> it's also like me just not caring because at some point in time I was just always using like my academic language mm -hmm. or like my dictionary talk it's just for me black people are going to understand each other better than you know people of that are not black and it's just 
I guess part of it was just my white side of my family. Like, we always acted differently towards them because we had different traditions and we had uh, different um, family members and some of them were racist. So it was just like, gotta hold it, just gotta hold it in and just keep it out. But now it's just for me, I, I'm apologetic about it because I know it's okay. But there's also the, this expectation to be like, like to assimilate to your your peer group, but mm-hmm. I don't have that anymore. Yeah. I think for me is that uh, growing up, I internalized some respectability politics. Yeah, mm-hmm. because, for um, sure. Mm-hmm. Because it's just like when you when you are a black, like, you know, my family, my mom and dad, they've always fostered the importance of education <laughs> and like, you know, being successful and working hard. And so, like, when you realize you, you know, you have this drive to, you know, succeed and to, like, gain knowledge, you, like, as a black person, you know the stereotypes, the negative stereotypes of black people being stupid, lazy, and ignorant. And you know in your heart to heart you aren't like that. And you know most black people you know aren't like that. Mm -hmm. But still, those stereotypes uh, are pervasive. And so to kind of... uh, to kind of counter them, I would kind of go in the opposite way, and I would try to act a lot more intelligent. And yeah. I was, I was a s- little pretentious fuck growing up, and like I really was. <laughs> and like I'm so glad that I'm not. No, like I understand. That I had that same experience, you know, from like sixth grade. To, I would say freshman year of high school, and oh, I yeah. would, I would kind of use my light skinness as some sort of like superiority complex. But it was taught to me through like media and stuff, like it mm-hmm. in subtle like connotations, you know. Um, films and stuff you know the light-skinned person was always the more docile one and the or the one who gets the guy at the end yeah yeah it was something I always I always felt like a token and yeah. that I had to uphold this like okay you're like most white people see you as like almost a white person yeah so you gotta you gotta really really try to act as white as possible or else you're not gonna make it and I think that it took me a really long time to like I don't know. I mean, I never denied that I was black to people at all, but I think that it wasn't until a late high school that I really started embracing it and like trying to learn more about my culture and recognizing like this is a part of me, like just as much as like going to my white grandma's for Christmas is a part of me, you know, Yeah. and maybe even more so, Um, you know, like I remember um, the first POC dinner that I went to and I had been going to communal dinners for most of the year but I went like second semester to a POC dinner and it was the first time that I went away from a dinner and I was like oh my god I am warm and excited yeah. and like not even because we were like discussing like an action because I felt <laughs> that excited with my white friends but like it was like I felt like connected in a way that I'd never felt to my white friends in the same situation and it was because I felt more free to talk about myself I felt like I could talk about things that were at the top of my mind yeah rather because when you're around white people the things that are at the top of your mind that pertain to your identity are like specific subjects that you yeah. talk about that's like a part of ideology it's not a part of your life mm-hmm. because it's only a part of your life it's not a part of their life yeah you know and there's only so much that people want to take of like listening to you talk about yourself until it's just irrelevant so it's hard it's really hard but uh, I think that it's good that we have the Athens POC DIY page. Yeah. I think that's really important. And I think when I first tried to brainstorm ideas for this podcast, I wanted to make it about like people of color in like DIY spaces. And I realized that we have our own spaces. Yeah. Like, we make <laughs> we make our own, and white people don't own DIY yeah like it like yes DIY is a majority white scene yeah but the scene 
exists outside of like going to a house show. The scene is people who are using art and creativity to express a lot of like political and social and emotional values through that. And I think that anybody can do that, obviously. But uh, yeah. yeah, I um, I mean, I me and uh, one other person, um, we created the Facebook group because uh, I mean, I've been I had like been thinking like brainstorming the idea of it since like I would say since the summer early summer but I was it was just like and like I ran into him and this uh, restaurant I was just telling him about it. And he's like oh I've had similar thoughts myself but for me it was like I got I got tired of being the only person in the room that looked like me you right. know and that's just what it came down to and I talked to other people who go to house shows around here who are black and they say they felt the same way you know and so I mainly created it so we could all come together but like I um I guess this is kind of I mainly did it because I didn't want people to have that feeling of isolation that I remember having even still now sometimes in college where, you know, you just feel like there's no one that is like you, you know, and that looks like you or is into the same shit as you and also looks like you. And so I just don't like I figure like if I can help some freshmen coming in here and not have that that feeling of isolation, then Mm -hmm. like I've I've done something pretty good, you know, because like I don't I don't want people to go through that like I did. I enjoy the page because I feel like it adds a sort of uh, political unity because I feel like you don't have that in white DIY spaces. I feel like you have to kind of hide your, you know, your emotion behind things that are happening that affect you, mm-hmm. um, affect your community. So it's like we are the community and we are talking about it. So I think that adds that sort of facet. And now there's this um, comfortability about struggle like just talking about struggle and I think we're allowed to have our fun and also um be vulnerable about ourselves yeah I um speaking of what you're talking about with the struggle I really um one of the things that really like kind of turned me off from the DIY group here is that you know a lot of people here are very like politicized and leftist and such you know like good for them and their ideology but you know, part of that platform they were on is they were always talking about social justice issues, you know? And yeah. it's like, that's not to, like, my disagreement with them, but I kind of, like, I kind of got tired of them talking about us yeah. and other groups of color, people of color that they were not, you know? It's like when you walk into a room and everyone's discussing, like, racial issues, but it's just a room full of white people, yeah. <laughs> you're, just, you're just, like, you raise your eyebrow a bit. And so yeah. I wanted to, um, I wanted, I just, I just feel like I want us as people of color to uh, control the conversation about ourselves, yeah. you know? And, like, I just don't want us to be seen as, like, a group of victims that need saving, but people who, who can have save themselves. Th- have know? their own dialogue and have their own platform. And I feel like with those leftist groups and those spaces of white liberals and such, I feel like our voices drowned out and they get all the credit for things that we've come up with and, like, things that we've already thought about, like... The whole Eminem situation <laughs> with the cipher. I feel like the the DI group the DIY group here is yeah. more leftist than liberal and yeah. like anti Eminem, but still, <laughs> it's just I don't know. It's weird to organize an event or organize a, an action that is supposed to protect or help people of color, and yeah. there's like maybe two people of color in the room. And the panel is white. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know what? A lot of the times, it's not their fault per yeah. se because it's just you know they're organizing with the people they know but i don't know i mean there's a i think that in diy if yeah. 
they really wanted to welcome people of color in the space, they'd loosen up a little bit. Yeah. Like, I I cannot take the, like, white person, I am, like, I am a leftist with a stick up my butt sort yeah. of attitude. I don't want to, I don't want to sit and pontificate about ideology with a, like, 25-year-old white man it's in like, grad school. Yeah. It's like, we all know, <laughs> we all know capitalism is evil, but, like, let's just turn up. Yeah, I think, um... It's a lot of emotional labor, like, being an activist. Um, I just need, like, people I can, like, talk music about or, like, mm-hmm. just to, mm-hmm. to make music with, maybe, or make art and just talk about things that influence my art. Because I'm a content artist, and I feel like in spaces like that, you know, you can't... They, there is content, but it doesn't relate to you, and it's not, it's not anything that they can pick up from the jump. Like, I feel like with black people, I can just, they understand it right off the bat. And it's like, there's, it's a cultural, it's a specific specific Mm -hmm. language with us. You know, we have verbal language, nonverbal language that we share that they don't necessarily understand. Mm -hmm. And I think for them, it's always this obligation to bring up race issues. See, I, um, I always felt like, and that's kind of like what turned me off is that like, I feel like, you know, for some groups, like uh, leftist groups, race is like, it's it's an issue for them, but like race for us is something we live with, you yeah. know? So mm-hmm. it's just like, I don't know, I don't want to always talk about race, you know? Let's let's talk about Beyonce's new Instagram post. <laughs> or if we talk about race, there's got to be some joy in it, you know? Yeah. I feel like a lot of the time when, like, when white people talk about race in their activist spaces, there's no joy in it. They're just talking about... They talk about the worst parts. Yeah, they're talking about the violence against us. And it's like, yeah, that happens. Yeah, we fear for that. But... We have a lot of good things going on in our community. Yeah. And I would get upset with them because it's just like, you only know us about for the bad stuff that happens. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. It's just the... There's black activities that evolve leisure, just like pure leisure, and you know it's not always like accepted, and people aren't comfortable with it. But like, you know, we're supposed to, you know, adopt their leisure and like adopt their uh, way of like interacting or like socializing. They don't necessarily uh, give two hoots about what we're doing in our free time it's like they only care about what pertains to their mission yeah but it's not like they're getting to know us as people and i'm not saying this to like call out my white friends for not caring about me as a person it's just like it's a general statement about the scene itself you know they're all good natured people it's just there's things that they'll never understand that Mm -hmm. i feel like taking ownership over yeah (laughs) Yeah, I think um, the other day uh, when I posted something in the Athens POC DIY page about like getting people to talk about this, I think it was Micah who commented and he said something along the lines of like DIY is like a bunch of white people like getting turned to black suffering. (laughs) 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 And (laughs) I think it's really true. You know, I totally get the sentiment that he has there. You know, I I think it has a lot to do with what we were talking about. Um, And I think that you were saying, you know, with the Tyree King thing. uh, Do you want to explain that, Austin? I never tell you that story. I don't think so. So we were at the the Bave Cave and uh, this was during the summer. Uh. Yeah, I had two incidents since there. I ended up I ended up I ended up cussing out someone at the party (laughs) over it. But uh, the first time I was there and they had like this like 
picture of Tyreen King on the here. I can show you the picture. I'll explain it. But like, it was just like this picture of like Tyreen King, the kid who got shot, <laughs> and like, think, um, yeah. it was just on their wall, like just on their wall, like decoration. And I just like just staring at it, and I got really angry, and I tore it down, and I went home and I burned it. That part was a little dramatic, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I got mad because, um, I mean, when I see that picture. I just don't see a murdered, like, black person. I see, like, myself. Like, because he kind of does look like me. And he also kind of looks like my best friend. And he also looks like my family member. And, like, I I just have this, like, rush of thoughts that, like, yo, that could have been me. I could have been that little black boy that got shot at the age of 13 by an overzealous cop. And so it's just, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like, you know, like you said, I feel like a lot of uh, the very, like, socially engaged people are, they're good-natured. But I think they're, like, attempts at empathy like cause them to kind of like dehumanize our suffering. It's very performative. It's very I think kitschy, yeah. I think the more privilege you have, the more your activism or where your privilege lies, um, or where it doesn't lie. When you do activism in something that you like for example, if you're a white person and you want to do activism regarding people <laughs> of color, your privilege your privilege is gonna show and the majority of your activism is inherently going to be mildly wow. performative. Yeah. You cannot paint your perspective of people of color and issues pertaining to people of color with a very like ah they're suffering sort of brush you know yeah Yeah, that's kind of what caused me to kind of separate myself from the diy group i kind of felt like they weren't they didn't see us as people they saw us as like an oppressed minority you know Mm -hmm. and that's kind of was part of the focus for like the poc diy group is that like you know, we realize that we're all, we, I feel like the PLC, PLC DIY group allows us to show off the full spectrum of blackness and who we are. And, you know, we can just be ourselves without having to worry about putting on some type of, you know, act for another group of people. But more or less, we kind of like, we understand who we are. And I feel like the lack of diversity in the, in the DIY group in Athens causes them to really like, whether they realize it or not, have these misconceptions of blackness and other people of color that just aren't, you know. Yeah. I think the best way I can put it is that they don't experience our struggle, so they kind of accessorize it because they want to be, they kind of want their influence to be in that sort of space of activism because they they want, they're fascinated by this thing kind of being resolved, but it's not getting resolved with the way that they portray Mm -hmm. our struggle. Yeah, and I know that there are white activists out there who do a lot of good work. Yeah. They do a lot of good work for communities of color, and that's awesome. But sure. I think that socially, we've got a lot of work to do. I think that, like, like the one time that I went to an organizing meeting and somebody asked me, well, how black are you? And then they started discussing the one-drop rule in front of me. And it was like, and these were people, these were people who were, like, organizing a movement to, like, it was something with gang violence. And it, they were working with black people, and they literally just said, like, some of the most racist nonsense I've heard in a while. Somebody, <laughs> to, somebody told me because I claim blackness, like I don't claim being mixed, that makes me racist because I'm not pertaining to the one drop rule. It was something, some weird shit. It was yeah. <laughs> I remember um, I was at this ISO meeting last fall, and you know I brought up like my own personal belief about the like the necessity of compromise in politics and like. Everyone kind of went around the room to explain how, like, they don't believe in compromise and our beliefs and such. And then one guy was like, oh, yeah, you know, we should never compromise. You know, remember, like, the three-fifth compromise? And, like, I almost threw my chair at him. Like, I was just like, I, in my mind, I was like, he really They're just... really bold. <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, oh, no. 
I was oh, about to be like, no, I do not know about that. Can you please explain to me what the three-fifth compromise was? I never heard of it. <laughs> oh, no, that's bad. <laughs> yeah, so, like, what really puzzles me and what I've been struggling with as I've, like, thought about how DIY is a majority white space and how it sucks that it's that way, but, like, what is the solution? I know that, like, we're creating that we've created the space for ourselves as people of color, but is there a solution to like, I don't know, the white DIY space? Will it just always be white and we'll always have to organize I, separately? And I don't think, um, I feel like the only like solution over time is just a population increase of diversity of yeah. people. I just feel like there's just not, there's just not enough of us in this town or really a lot of spaces where it's just, we're just naturally gonna trickle there. You know, we have to find out about it or be invited to it. And so that's kind of like, you know, why I wanted to like create the people of color DIY spaces so we can carve our own space, you know? Because mm -hmm. I feel like, I feel like, I was just thinking about this on my way here to bring this up, but like, I feel like, you know, even if you do have people of color there, there are certain things that are just inherently white spaces. Like, I feel like when you have a group of white people creating a project for something, that space becomes white. And I feel like when you have, you know, people that LBGTQ community, community creating some type of event even if there are you know heterosexual people there i feel like that is inherently an lbgtq space because it was created by lbgtq people <laughs> so it already has a natural invite it's already a natural environment for them so i'm mainly creating like i didn't create the athens plc, uh, PLC diy group to kind of like to make us like to exclude the other white people, but I mainly wanted to like, I wanted us to take control of our own spaces and us not to mm -hmm. have to rely on these white spaces to do the things that we enjoy doing. We can just do it for ourselves and they can come too if they want, you know, there's no exclusion there. I think with the main DIY you know, scene, I think is just, again, about inclusion and just including like acts of color you know you don't see it all the time they do exist but you don't see it all the time and just reaching out and having that sort of drive to like include POCs in your space and I think with what we were talking about about struggling you know is just not even putting that on the back burner and you know it exists still and like we will probably talk about it but you know allowing us to talk about it instead of talking about it for us mm -hmm. yeah I think that being punk for a person of color yeah. is less of a fashion statement or an aesthetic. Yeah. And it's like, it's a choice that we've made that now we're fighting for our survival and this is the way that we're going to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, we're not, we're not anti-capitalist just because we think it's trendy. And I don't think they are either, you know? Yeah. But it's it's hard to to go against systems made by white oppressors when you are not a white oppressor yeah and not saying the the white people that we know aren't as much against those systems as we are but yeah. it's easier for them to to go against the grain it's easier for them to be radicalized it's they easier. have a lot of more yeah. resources than we do yeah and they have a lot more ability a lot more agency to dissent yeah when we dissent it's squelched like yeah. <laughs> you see like the NFL, like, they're doing a really cool thing yeah. by taking a knee during the national anthem, but because it's a bunch of black people doing it, they're getting yelled at and, yeah. like, losing their fan base. <laughs> and that's wild. If white people did that, if it were, like, hockey or something, <laughs> it would be like, oh, my God, hockey's so good. 
the bunch of leftists in hockey, but because it's black people doing it, it's like we're we're owned by people still. Yeah. And there's still people telling us that we can't do something, that we can't dissent. And I think that because DIY is wrapped up in dissension and going against the man or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We're some of the punkest people out there, and that's worth something. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is there anything all else y'all wanted to add? No, thank you for uh, having me on. Yeah, I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, this was a great conversation. I'm really glad that we had it, and I think it was really necessary because, like we've established, these conversations don't happen in DIY spaces. Yeah. And they should, but we got to make them happen. So with that, I think we're going to sign off. Uh, This has been another Jettison podcast brought to you by JettisonMag.com. I'm Hope Roberts. Carolyn Hunter, Austin Rivers, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. I just wanted to say before I sign off, you know, I just want to let everybody know that it's if you're black and weird, it's okay. We love you. And Hell we yeah. Invi- we invite please you. Please come talk to us. Please. Yes, please. <laughs> Don't be alone. Don't be a stranger. And also, we'll add you to the Athens POC DIY page and invite you to the cookout. Alrighty. So, here we go. We're Aliadi. See y'all.